Good to see everyone. I wonder what you're like at spelling. I am rubbish. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you here. Relax. Somebody's starting to panic here. It's going to be a spelling test. Just asking that, because I'm going to make a confession. I am rubbish at spelling. And that was quite embarrassing for me, because I shared with you that I'm a pastor. But years ago, I used to be a primary school teacher. And it's pretty embarrassing when you're a primary school teacher and you're wicked at spellings because you've got to mark kids' spelling tests every day, their daily spellings. So when it comes to spellings, I like words that are, are short and simple. I'm going to write a, a short, simple word up on this uh, board here. Two letters. Keep it simple. The word do. Now what's that got to do with us tonight? Well, you know there's over 10,000 different religions in the world? And most of the religions, in fact, all the religions of the world can be summed up by these two letters here that even I can spell, do. How do you get right with your God? How do you get right with your deity? How do you get your way into heaven or wherever paradise you're hoping to go to? Well, all the religions of the world can be summed up these two letters, do. Do this, do this, do this, do that, and you might win the favour of your God. And if you do enough good things, then you're hoping you'll get into the right place. That's how you sum up all the different religions. So Islam, Hinduism, Jehovah Witness, all those kind of religions and cults that can be summed up what you do to impress your God or your deity. Here at Lestuder, you believe in something different. And what you believe can be spelled like this. Let's get rid of this here. Let's Let's add two more letters onto it. This is how biblical Christianity is different from all the other religions in the world. It's spelled like this. D-O-N-E. How do you get to heaven? How do you get yourself right with your God? It's got absolutely nothing to do with what you do. In fact, no matter what we do, we can never reach God's perfect standard. Instead, the message of the Bible is that Jesus done something for us on our behalf. He lived the perfect life. He lived the life we could never live. And he died on a cross. And when he was dying on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins, he actually cried out, it's finished. It's done. I've done everything that needs to be done. And so to get ourselves right with God, to get ourselves into heaven, it's not about what we do. It's actually putting our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has already done for us in the cross. And that's what makes Christianity, what we believe, different from all the other religions of the world. So does that mean when you come at a Christian, you put your faith and trust in Christ, there's nothing you need to do? Well, actually, there is. Let's take away these two letters here. The Bible actually says there are things that we need to do. And these things don't get us right with God. These are things we do because Jesus has changed our lives and he's saved us. So this comes across a lot in the New Testament. Let's take a book like the book of Romans. We're also starting to panic thinking, I asked him to speak on Joshua and now he's in the book of Romans. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get there, uh, Ross. If you take a book of Romans, there's 16 chapters. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans tell us all the amazing things that Jesus Christ has done for us. Incredible things that he did on our behalf. And then the last five chapters say, here's what you need to do in response. Once you've trusted Christ in your Savior, here's what you need to do. This is how you live out your life. This doesn't get you right with God. 
But because you love Jesus and he's changed your life, this is what you need to do. So I want you to remember these two words tonight. First of all, done. What Jesus has done for us, he's done it all. We can't do anything to get right with God. He's done it all and we put our faith on that. But when we trust him, there's things that we need to do. We need to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to come on to the book of Joshua, I've been asked tonight to speak on finding Jesus in the book of Joshua, looking for clues for Jesus in the book of Joshua. Now I'm wondering, is there anybody here called Joshua this evening? Common Christian there. There must be a guy called Joshua. Any Joshua's here tonight? No, nobody. I was looking for a wee bit of help how to spell this out. Let's write the name Joshua up on my board here. Joshua. Okay, book in the Old Testament. What's Joshua got to do with Jesus? Does anybody know the link between the name Joshua and Jesus? Anybody know? Right at the back, shout it out. They both start with J's, that's good, yeah. There's actually a lot more than that. The name Joshua is actually the same name as the name Jesus. It's the same name as Jesus, but in a different language. So my name is Peter, but if I lived in France, you wouldn't call me Peter, you would call me... Anybody know? What's Peter in French? Come on, somebody's got to know. Sorry? No. Well, Pierre, yeah. So you might say the same name in a different way, in a different language. Joshua is a Hebrew word. And to say that in Aramaic, you would say Jesus. So Joshua and Jesus are the same name, but in different languages. And that name actually means the Lord saves. He's the God who saves, and he's a God who rescues. So how do we see Jesus in the book of Joshua? Well, we see it in his name, but we see Jesus in lots of different ways. Who was Joshua? Well, Joshua was one of the children of Israel, one of God's chosen people, because there's an incredible story that runs the whole way through the Bible. Right at the start of the Bible, God creates a perfect world. Perfect in every way. But we know if you read through the book of Genesis, it doesn't last perfect for very long. Sin comes into the world, and God's perfect world is spoilt. And what God plans to do is he plans to start again, and he chooses one man, a man called Abraham. And he gave Abraham three very special promises. He said to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a nation. It's going to be like stars in the night sky. You can never count them. You're going to have lots and lots of descendants. They're going to be my special people, my chosen people. I'm going to love them. And because I'm going to give you a nation, I'm going to give them a land to live in. The promised land. And, Abraham, the third promise is, one day, somebody is going to come from your family who's going to bless all the families of the world. That's a promise that will be filled in Jesus Christ. Those three promises are going to make you a nation, going to give you a land to live in the promised land, and through your family I'm going to bless all the families of the world. Joshua in the Old Testament was born into this family. He was part of the nation of Israel, descendant of Abraham. But when he was born, he wasn't born in the promised land, because they didn't have a land to live in. In fact, God's people were slaves in Egypt, and he was born as a slave into Egypt. He was the oldest born in his family. And so actually God saved his life because you probably know the story of how God took his people out of Egypt 
the Passover night, when they painted blood round the doorways, and the angel of the Lord came, and as the blood was round the doorway, the oldest boy in the family, their life was saved. Well, he was the oldest boy in the family, and that night of the Passover, Joshua's life was saved. And God took his people out of Egypt, and he took them through the Red Sea, and he's taking them towards the promised land to keep that second promise. They give them a land to live in. And they get to the borders of the promised land, and Moses, the leader, sends 12 spies into the country, just to check it out before they go in to take the promised land. 12 spies go in, 10 of them come back with a really negative report. They said, we're not able to do this. You want to see the people who live in this country? They're massive. They're so big, they're so strong, there's no way we'll be able to overcome them. 10 said, this isn't possible. But two of them, Joshua and his friend Caleb, came back and said, we are able to do this with the Lord's help. But the people didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They listened to the other ten spies, and they said, we can't take this land. And because they didn't trust God, God said, you're never going to get into the promised land. In fact, you're going to walk around in circles, around the wilderness, the desert, for 40 years until you all die out. Not a single one of you will ever get into the promised land because you didn't trust me. The only two who are going to get into the promised land are Joshua and Caleb, because they trusted God. And so they walk around for 40 years until they all die out. And they're left with the the children who were born in the wilderness, and Caleb and Joshua. And when you come to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, it starts with Joshua, who's now the leader, going to take them into the promised land, to claim this land that God has promised to them. As they step into the land, he trusts God, and there's many battles. You probably know the story of the walls of Jericho where they march around and the walls fall down. And after many battles, they claim the land and they start to live in peace. They settle into the land. But where's Jesus in the book of Joshua? Well, God is getting everything right. He's, he's made a nation, his chosen people. He's got them the second promise into the land to live. And he's getting all the conditions right because his son, Jesus Christ, is going to be born into this promised land. This is where Jesus is going to walk and live. This is where Jesus is going to get die on the cross for our sins. And God is getting everything right for Jesus, our Savior, to come into the world, to be that third promise, the one who is a blessing to all of the world. So that's where Jesus appears. He appears lots of different ways to the story of Joshua. But I want to look at one particular chapter. There's 24 chapters in the book of Joshua. Don't worry, we're not going to read them all tonight. We're going to go right to the end. We're going to the last chapter. So you've got a Bible. We've got a Bible with you. You've got it on a phone. If you don't, you can listen in. We're going to turn right to the end, the last chapter, chapter 24. And right at the end of chapter 24, this man Joshua is a really old man. He's right at the end of his life. And what he does in this last chapter of Joshua 24 is he gathers the whole nation of Israel to listen to him. It's his final speech as such. And what he does is he follows the same format that I showed you right at the start. He starts to tell the people what God has done for them in the past. These are all the amazing things that God has done for you. And after he's told them what God has done, he then says, this is what you must do in response. Because God has done amazing, incredible things for you, this is how you live your life 
in the promised land. This here is what you should do. So let's read the first 13 verses of Joshua chapter 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, according to what I did among them. Afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. And Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Parasites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you which drove them out. And before you also the two kings of the Amorites. But not with the sword or with the bow, your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labour and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Amen. So although this is Joshua speaking, he's gathered the whole nation of Israel in front of him. He's actually passing on the words that God says. We see that right at the start of verse 2. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the God of Israel. And what he does here is he starts to remind the people of what God has done for them in the past. And just to give you a summary of those verses I've read, he tells them these four things, four incredible things that God has done for his people in the past. The first thing he did was he chose them. Out of all the nations of the earth, he chose this one nation. And then he delivered them. He brought them out of slavery. Then he fought for them as they came into the promised land. Lots of battles. But God fought on their side. And then the fourth thing is, he blessed them. He gave them lots and lots of things that they didn't deserve. So let's go through those four things quickly. The things that God has done for them. The first thing he did was he, he chose them. He actually chose their ancestor Abraham. And when God chose Abraham, he wasn't a godly man. He wasn't actually somebody who was seeking after God. Verse 2 actually tells us that Abraham served other gods. He was a pagan. But God took the initiative. God chose Abraham. He stepped into his life. There was nothing special about him. Nothing deserving of God's kindness in his life. But God chose him. And God gave him those three promises. To make him a nation. To give him land. And through him to bless all the peoples of the earth. So God chose the children of Israel. 
The second thing he did was he, he delivered Remember there were slaves in Egypt. It was God who brought them out. That's what verse 5 says. God says, I brought you out. Miraculously parted the Red Sea and brought his people through. So he chose them, he delivered them, and then he fought for them. They've come into the promised land. Remember those spies 40 years earlier who looked at the land and said, these people are much bigger than us. And there's far more, many, a lot more of them. There's no way we can beat them. And that's true. The armies were bigger and they were stronger. And yet they defeated them all. Think of the walls of Jericho. They marched round for six days. Seventh day, marched round seven times. Blew their trumpets and shouted as loud as they can. The walls come down. Like, that shouldn't happen. But this city collapses. How? Because God fought for them. God fought for them and gave them victories that they didn't deserve. And then the fourth thing that God has done for them is he's blessed them. Everything that they have, this incredible land that they live in, is a blessing from God. Look at verse 13 again. I have given you land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You did the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Everything I've given you is just a blessing from God. And so, as Joshua speaks to the people, he reminds them of all these incredible things that God has done for his people. He chose them, he delivered them, he fought for them, and he has bless them. And at this point, God stops speaking. Joshua stops repeating what God has said to him. And he speaks himself and he speaks personally for the people, to the people. And he says, this is what I want you to do. In the light of all that God has done for you, this is what you should do in response. Verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. So in response to all that God has done for you, this is how you should live. This is what you should do. And you can summarize what you should do from verse 14 with three words. Fear, fear the Lord. Serve, serve the Lord. And reject, reject all the other fake foreign gods. So fear the Lord, serve the Lord, and reject all the other gods. Let's unpack those a little bit. Fear the Lord. Now fear the Lord's a bit of an interesting phrase. Often for us fear sounds negative. When you think of fear, you think of things that you're scared of. Spiders, snakes, whatever. Probably a lot of you wouldn't admit to being scared of something, but we're probably all scared of of something that makes us shake. That's often what we think about fear. Something that that just gets us going. And so we think about fear of the Lord. You know, we're, we're trembling and we're shaking in his sight. Actually in the Bible, fear of the Lord is to do with reverence. It means putting God in his rightful place. Treating God the way he should be treated. This isn't probably a perfect illustration, but think if you're still at school. You're school principal, okay? You're in a classroom. You're no teacher about. You're sort of messing about. Maybe carrying on with your friends. And the school principal walks in, okay? There's maybe a wee bit of reverence there. There's a wee bit of respect. When you realise who it is and the authority it has, it probably changes the way you behave. There's a fear of the principal. You're maybe not shaking or quaking or terrified. Maybe you are terrified of that person. But you're putting them in the right place. This is somebody who's important. This is somebody with authority. And so I'm going to behave in the right way. This is what Joshua says to the people. Fear the Lord. Put God 
in his rightful place. Don't ignore him. Just don't pretend he's somebody who's insignificant. Fear the Lord. Put him in first place, central, supreme place in your life. So here's what you're going to do. Fear the Lord. Second thing, serve the Lord. See, when you come into this land, live your life in service to the Lord. All you do, serve the Lord. Make him your master. Do whatever he wants you to do with your life. So fear the Lord and then serve the Lord. Give your life in service to him. And if you're going to serve the Lord, here's what else you need to do. You need to reject all the other gods. See the people who live around you, all the other nations. They don't worship the real true God. The, the false gods, maybe idols they've made, they're of wood or stone, things that they bow down, down, bow down to. Don't go after those gods. If you're going to serve God and fear God, you need to reject all the other fake gods. Have nothing to do with them. And then we come to the most famous verse, not in this chapter, but the whole book of Joshua. It's verse 15. Let's read it here. Joshua says to the people, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's quite famous words. Quite often you see them maybe up in the house of a Christian, a little frame picture, you know. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's Joshua saying to the people here? If you're not going to serve the real God, choose which God you're going to choose. Remember the gods your ancestors used to serve years ago, the pagan gods? Or maybe worship the gods of the Amorites whose lands we're now living in. You make your choice. If you're not going to serve God, pick another God and serve him. But then Joshua puts his marker down. He says, but as for me and my house, see me and my people, we're going to serve the one true God. We're going to put him first in our lives. And so he throws this out to the people. What are you going to do? Pick a God. If you're not going to serve God, pick another God. Or follow the real true God. And the people respond and they make this great declaration that we see right at the end of verse 18. The last line of verse 18. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. And so say, yeah, Joshua, just like you, we're going to fear the Lord, put him in the right place in our lives. We're going to serve him with our lives. And we're going to reject all the other fake and false gods that the other nations follow. So where is Jesus in the book of Joshua? Well, as I said near the start, we see Jesus in lots of different places. We see Jesus in the name Joshua. We see Jesus in the fact that God is getting the land ready for his son to be born here in the promised land. But we also see Jesus in this chapter here, chapter 24. Because if you're here tonight and you're a Christian... Jesus has done the same things for you. Jesus has done the same four things that he did for the children of Israel that Joshua has reminded them of. God has chosen you. God has delivered you. God has fought for you. And God has blessed you as well. He's done the same four things in your life as he did for the children of Israel here in the book of Joshua. God has chosen you. It's the book of Ephesians says, Ephesians 1, tells us that God has chosen us before the 
foundation of the earth. He set his love upon us. He loved us so much that he sent his son into the world for us. Did we deserve that? No. But in love he chose us before the foundation of the world. All of grace. We don't deserve it. But he chose us. And then he delivered us. Because the Bible says we're actually slaves to sin. Actually worse than being a slave in Egypt. We are slaves to sin. Sin is our master. And it's keeping us away from God. And Jesus has delivered us. And so when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying to set us free, to pay the price for the wrong things we've done. That's why he cried out, it's finished. It's done. I've done everything you need to be set free. And so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, what does he do? He delivers you. He sets you free. The Bible also says that Jesus fights for us. Just the way he fought for the children of Israel as they were claiming the land. Jesus fights for us. Now we don't walk around cities and defeat cities like that, but we have lots of battles. Spiritual battles that are happening all the time. The Bible says we have lots of enemies. Our first enemy is our flesh, our own sinful nature. Those temptations and things that we struggle with within ourselves. That's a spiritual battle as we, as we fight against our own flesh and sinful nature. We have the world all around us. Sit in school classroom or university or watch TV or go online. There's all these things coming at us, tempting us to go against what God has taught us in his word. And so we have these spiritual battles against the world. And we also have an enemy, the devil. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our testimony and our Christian lives. And so it's a, it's a spiritual battle. And we're in these battles all the time. But what has Jesus done for us? Well, he fights for us. The Bible says he's our sword and our shield. He's the one who helps us overcome in these battles. And so he chose us. He's delivered us. He fights for us. He's also blessed us. He's given us lots of blessings that we don't deserve. Ephesians 1.4 says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Everything you could need for this life and the life to come, Jesus has blessed us with it. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, what's he done? Well, he's delivered us. He's set us free. He's forgiven us for our sins. He's adopted us. We're brought into our family. We're called the children of God. He's given us an eternal inheritance, a place in heaven. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. And those are just a few of the blessings that Jesus has given to us. And so Jesus has done incredible things for us. Just like the children of Israel, he chose us, he delivered us, he fights for us, and he's blessed us. If Jesus has done these incredible things, what do we need to do in response? You're a Christian. What do you do in response? Well, it's exactly the same things that Joshua told the children of Israel to do. We fear the Lord, we serve the Lord, and we reject all the other gods. If you're a Christian, we need to fear the Lord. We need to put God in his rightful place in our lives. He's not in second place, or third place, or tenth place. Fear the Lord means we put God in the number one place in our lives. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your saviour. You need to realise what Christ has done for you. 
It's not about what you do. You'll never get up to God's standard. You'll always fall short. And in love, Jesus has done something incredible for you. He died on the cross. He did it all. And we just simply put our faith and trust in what he has done. And so if you're not a Christian, you need to put your faith and trust. And what you need to do tonight for the first time in your life is put Jesus in his rightful place in your life. You need to trust him as your saviour. You need to have the, the fear of the Lord. Put him in the right place. And you start to do that by trusting Jesus Christ as your saviour. You're here tonight and you are a Christian. You look back to your point in life where you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But let's be honest. There are times where Christ doesn't have his rightful place in our lives. Sometimes we let Christ be crowded out by other things that come into our life. And so in response to what Christ has done for us, what do we need to do? Fear the Lord. Put Christ in his rightful place. Put him as number one. Love him all your heart, your soul, your mind your strength. That's what we need to do. We need to fear the Lord. The second instruction is we serve the Lord. We give our lives in response to what Christ has done for us in service to him. I want to live my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to serve him with my life. Well, how do you serve the Lord? Maybe you're sitting here going, oh, I'm a teenager. How can you serve the Lord? Well, God gives us different gifts, different abilities. Whatever God has given us, use that to serve the one who has done so much for you. Maybe by telling your friends about Jesus so they can come to know him, that's serving Christ. Maybe inviting them along to a Christian meeting, that's serving Christ. As I said, he gives us different gifts. Maybe God has given you a musical gift. Maybe Ross would love to have a the whole band up here of the instruments, you know, they say, oh, well, I've got a musical gift, I'm going to use it. You're serving the Lord. Maybe you're, you're good working with, with kids in your church and a kids club or something like that. I'm going to get involved. I want to serve the Lord through that. They say, well, I'm not good at that kind of thing, but God's given me practical hands and I can set things out and do practical Whatever God sets upon your heart, live your life to serve him. Maybe going on a, an evangelism team or a camp or something in the summer. Some way of serving the Lord. So we fear the Lord. We put him first and then we use our lives as service. And what's the third thing Joshua told the people to do? Reject the false gods. You know the pagan gods around you? Put them out of your life. Reject those gods. Now in our world we don't really have false gods that are made of wood or stone or things like that. Maybe in different parts of the world you'll find that. We don't have those kind of false gods. But, as you know, in our society, in our culture here, Northern Ireland, in the UK, there are lots of false gods. There are lots of idols. There's lots of things, maybe your friends in school or uni, that are number one in their lives and it's not God. Things that take the place of God. Greed. Get as much as you can. Just materialism. Individualism. Just living your life for you. Nobody else matters. My fun, my pleasure is the most important thing in the world. That's a God. Individualism. Whatever these gods are, reject them. That's what Joshua says. Put them away and serve the Lord instead. So as I finish here this evening, I want to remind us of these two words. Biblical Christianity is summed up with these two words. All the other religions in the world, it's just do. Christianity starts with done. It starts with Jesus. This is what Jesus has done 
for you. He's chosen you. He's delivered you. He fights for you and he has blessed you. And in response to what he has done, what are we going to do? How are we going to live our lives? Well, we're going to fear the Lord. Put him in the right place. We're going to serve him. We're going to give our lives in service. Not to win our place in heaven. That's guaranteed in Christ already. But because he's blessed us, we are going to serve him with our lives. And then we're going to reject. We're going to reject all the other fake and false gods which are no substitute for the real one. And so as you think about this tonight, that's what I want you to take away with. Think of what Jesus has done for you. And rejoice in it. And give thanks for it. And then commit your life to what you're going to do. Living the one who's done so much for you. Fearing him, serving him, and rejecting all the others. Let's pray as we think about these great spiritual truths. Dear Father, I want to rejoice tonight. I want to give thanks that you've done incredible things for us. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus Christ has done it all. When he died on the cross, he cried out, it's finished, it's done, it's completed. There's nothing we can do for our salvation. Jesus Christ has done it all. We thank you for that. And so we pray, Lord God, you'd help each one of us just to put our faith and trust, not in our own ability to please you, but put our faith and trust in what Jesus has accomplished for us and done for us on the cross. And then in response, may we give our lives to living for you. May we fear you. May we put you in the right place, central place in our lives. May we serve you. We thank you for young people in this room. Just with great opportunity and potential to serve the Lord. The incredible things that could happen to the young people here, putting you first and using their lives in service for their Lord and Master. And help us to reject the false gods of this world. It's so easy just to go with the flow and do what everybody else is doing, to follow the crowd in culture and society. But help us to reject the false gods and live for the one has done so much for you. We are weak, so fill us with your Holy Spirit as we live our lives for you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.